Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome, everyone. My name is Sally Ehrenfried, and I lead government relations for BlackBot. Today, we'll be talking about foundations and advocacy. I have with me two friends and colleagues who are active in the advocacy space through their foundations, one from a community foundation and one from a statewide private foundation. And with that, I am going to turn it over to them to introduce themselves, and then we will dive into the conversation. They will share an overview of how they engage in advocacy, and then we'll get into some Q&A. So with that, I will turn it over to China Phillips. Hello, everyone, wherever you are. Um, my name is China, and I am the Senior Director of Policy and Research at the Sisters of Charity Foundation. We are a statewide foundation focused on reducing poverty, and my background is evaluation, community organizing, and um, I've been in the sector for about six years now. So I'll hand it over to Melissa to introduce herself. Terrific. Um, my name is Melissa Levesque, and I'm the Senior Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer at Coastal Community Foundation. We are a community foundation and place-based grant maker that covers the nine coastal counties of coastal South Carolina. We go as far north as the North Carolina border and as far south as our border with Georgia. And we really focus um, specifically on grant making within our nine counties, but we also partner with donor advisors who do grant making throughout the country and the region. I've been in philanthropy for about 25, a little over 25 years. Um, by background, I'm a lawyer and I've been working with community foundations financial service institutions, and, and other groups involved in philanthropy throughout my career, and um, thrilled to join two people I respect immensely to talk about a subject that's um, very important for all of us. Wonderful. Thanks, Melissa. And who wants to go first in describing their advocacy journey, where you started, where you are now, and um, the travels that you've had in between? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump right in. I'll jump right in. Um, so again, this is China um, speaking on behalf of Sister of Charity Foundation. So I would say our organization has always had a legacy of advocating for individuals, right? Um, we had an entire agency start from ours, and now they're their own entity doing great work. They have a line item in the state budget, um, and it's the Center for Fathers and Families. But as an organization for foundation, for us, we really had to pause and do the internal work to say, how would we like to really drive impact over time? So after 25 years of kind of leading, I told you I have a background in evaluation and we're known as the kind of mean researchers, right? Who says, I know that looks good, but um, is that truly, truly doing uh, the work that you need? And so I had a conversation with our then president and our vice president, who's our president now, Donna Waits. And we had a conversation to say, we could be doing more. Um, in our grant making, we could be funding more strategically to look more upstream to those system changes, right? Um, a lot of times we say the systems are working by design, and we had to honor the fact that in the South doing this work, a lot of individuals, especially as it relates to um, individuals experiencing poverty, 
are there, yes, by individual choices, but it's cyclical, it's generational. And so that's how our kind of policy work started. We did internal work, brought our board and staff along with um, the process, did a research study to highlight and talk about what poverty looked like in the in 2018 or 2020 when the poverty study was done, which is much different from our founding. And so that got to one, of course, talking about the historical redlining, but then also talking about housing structures and communities, safety, and all of these things that were bubbling up in our communities that we knew we needed to focus on and leverage not just our financial capital, but all of those different levels of capital that we bring as foundation, intellectual intellectual, moral, reputational, all of these things to move the conversation forward that can really impact some different changes. And now we have an advocacy agenda um, and we have relationships with all three levels of government, um, but that local and that state level is our sweet spot. Um, and we do that by partnering with community and other fo foundations. I'll pause there. Um I would just add for, for Coastal Community Foundation, sort of how we started on this journey, it really does have some similarities to the, what I would say, more of the origin story and the path that Sisters of Charity took in the sense that it really starts with the conversation that that is an outgrowth of the work that you're doing, challenges that you're experiencing, but it really has to resonate with your organization's values and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So about five to six years ago at Coastal Community Foundation. You know, at that point, we had we were almost a 45-year-old grant maker in the region. And one of the things that we had learned through experience is that um, we were doing a lot of grant making as a foundation and also in partnership with our donor advisors. And, and a bigger question that came up was, are these grants achieving the goals that we as a foundation and our, our partner donor advisors are we're really looking to achieve. And for us, that was a stewardship issue um, where we really had to ask the question, you know, are some grants not going to be as effective, not because of intent, not because of the work of the nonprofits that they're supporting and what they're doing in the community, but because there are some systemic regulatory barriers that are really impeding some things that, that could be much more beneficial. So part of what we did was we looked at that and we knew there was a kernel of stewardship as, as a reason that um, we wanted to, to explore this issue, but we also wanted to make sure we were listening to community. Um, that's a huge emphasis that we have at the foundation. So we engaged in community conversations throughout our entire footprint. Um, we spent a lot of time with small groups saying, you know, what do you see as the core components of a strong, vibrant community? We didn't lead with questions. We said, tell us what you think. And what came through were some pretty specific issues that resonated if you were rural or if you were urban, young or old. Um, we knew people were concerned about affordability, education, and access to economic opportunity. And then we did independent research to see what the data said um, about the counties we served. And when we overlaid that, it was really clear people knew their communities and the data resonated. At the same time, we would share that with our board 
then we would share how here's what we're doing in grant making and here are some things that you know candidly can impede the effectiveness of some of the grant dollars that we do and you know one of the important things we did was we had our board go on that journey with us um, i would definitely say that you know Boards decide how fast you're going to move as an organization. And um, collectively, after about a three-year process, we put together our first advocacy agenda. Um, and that advocacy agenda was rooted in the community conversations and the data that we collected. And they also were very much rooted and resonated with our core values as an institution. And that made a huge difference in our credibility when we started to approach um, individuals on a local and state level um, relative to some of those issues. Great. Thank you, Melissa and China, for sharing um, an overview of your journeys as how you've moved into the advocacy space. Since we have specifically mentioned uh, the role of boards in this process, what are the three things that our listeners can do to start socializing and introducing advocacy and policy to their boards. For our organization, I'll just give you the exact examples. So one, we needed to uh, essentially get out of our way a little bit. So one of the things that we say often is um, don't get ahead of your board um, and make sure that you do this with them. And so what we had to assess is kind of get to the root cause of why maybe we didn't move faster in the past, right? I had a predecessor with a similar title. What were the issues? And so what I realized is one, we wasn't giving our board enough credit. Um, we knew that they actually wanted to be a part of um, advocacy in the past, but they wasn't given opportunities. So we started dropping a few little breadcrumbs and introducing them to the concept of what advocacy could potentially look like and started having that conversation. Additionally, we knew that some of them didn't know the difference between advocacy and then legislative policy. And so we had to become really clear on what we meant by advocacy, right? So ensuring that they had good definitions, that we had strategic partners and individuals who came and spoke to our board, right? And so essentially then we can blame it, <laughs> blame it on the speaker um, and say, oh, what did you, what did you think about that? Right. But at the end of the day, those speakers were very strategic um, uh, to be placed on them. And then for me, especially for any of you who may be listening with a smaller staff who may not have uh, five different people working on policy alone, I would say to potentially push to have some working committee meetings within your board structure to move from just presenting out information and including them in all pieces of the process. For instance, at the board meetings, at committee meetings, not board meetings, but committee meetings with members of our board, we were doing power mapping with them, talking about strategies. And in that, I realized that we needed to recruit some more people who had policy expertise on our board, right? And so that opened up the gaps that we had on our board and also made me appreciative of the relationships they had and were willing to leverage to move the conversation forward um, for the people of South Carolina. So those are those three, get out of your own way, figure out what those root causes of why boards may be resistant. Are we making that up or is that real? And then, place strategic 
speakers who can um, address those kind of resistance pieces. And then the next one, challenge yourself to work with your board through some of this work. They're more invested. Thanks, China. I definitely agree with the process that that she went through in her suggestions. And it's, it really mirrors a lot of what Postal Community Foundation did as well. One of the things that I would say, just reflecting on, on China's point about having a, a committee that's integrated, that's a committee of your board, that's part of it. That was one of the key things that we did as a foundation is we had our grant making and community leadership committee really own sort of the nuts and bolts of developing our advocacy agenda. Um, there was a lot of work that it went into it, but it was good because this was, this was a big potential shift for us, but it came through our governance structure. It was, it was done in collaboration with staff, but it was also done with our committee structure and our leader, our volunteer leadership. Um, so I would say number one, that's definitely a, a good part. Um, the second is, while that process is going on, it's really important, as, as China mentioned as well, is to really make the distinction between advocacy as well as, you know, advocacy and policy versus politics. Um, that's one of the key areas where, where people can, cannot understand the difference between the two. And, you know, one of the things that we would share with, with our board is, you know, we're in the endowment business. We, we are, we're looking at short game and long game. We are here in perpetuity. We're not focused on election cycles. We're, we're bringing 40, almost 50 years of expertise in our community to the table to talk about issues that we're dealing with on a daily basis. We are not talking about anything political. Um, and the other part with that is to be really clear on what are examples of advocacy. Advocacy can be writing an op-ed that's published in your local newspaper. Um, it can be having a convening where you're bringing in speakers and experts to talk about um, different issues and, and just really bring attention and lift an issue up. Um, it can be, you know, a white paper or candidly a really fantastic annual report that's talking about what you're seeing from your role as a grant maker or a nonprofit in the community through the work that you're doing and highlighting that. So, so those were two key things. And then I think the third step was taking that education, taking the lessons learned that we had through our community conversations, and then letting our volunteer leadership really work through how do we want to focus and prioritize a couple of issues where, you know, we have a commitment, we have knowledge, and there are some things that we can do um, on an incremental level to really get into advocacy. And that's part of what we did. And certainly, you know, what we took on initially was, was much simpler in terms of doing op-eds. And then over time, you know, you build your muscle and that's when, when you start to do a little bit more. But I think those three things definitely helped us. Um, and, and that takes, that takes, you know, five years to get there, but it creates the alignment and the buy-in that you need. Great. Thank you both China and, and Melissa. And in your previous answers around, you know, socialization with the board, we've started to get into um, the concept of infrastructure and how your organizations have potentially 
built your infrastructure to be able to move into the advocacy space. Knowing that we have um, listeners from organizations of all sizes, how did you go about building your organizational infrastructure so that you could do this advocacy work? Go ahead, Melissa. Sure. I mean, what I would say is, you know, it, it was an incremental growth. I mean, one thing, you know, when we initially started, you know, there was work that we were doing, but we didn't have a program officer that had, you know, a portion of their of their portfolio focused on on policy or advocacy until about two or three years into the process. But what we did do was we made sure that we had our communications function designed so that we could make sure we were communicating very clearly on what we were seeing in the community. We were initially very clear on what we were doing for op-eds. We started to develop some white papers that were very effective. And then we also had program staff that, that were added. So I would say, you know, there are things that you can do incrementally as you're, as you're building. But the number one thing that we started with was candidly telling the stories of what we heard in community through the work that we were doing. Um, I think one of the easiest things to underestimate is the value of the expertise that you and your organization have for the issues that are part of your day-to-day work. Um, You really have an expertise and a knowledge with people in your community that stakeholders on a local and a state level respect and value, and you represent the voices of many that you serve. And it, that is something that's powerful. And it's certainly something you shouldn't under, you should not underestimate. Yeah. For us, I really love um, what Melissa shared because there's just so much that private and public foundations can learn from our community uh, foundations with the fact that they always center community voices. So our infrastructure inside, I think, was easy because we just opportunistically uh, had a time where we were able to put this in our strategic plan, right? And so it was very um, strategic, right? Like that, no small step, right? It was very strategic for me to serve on that initial planning committee because when we had the conversation that this is where we wanted to go with leadership and um, my president said, don't get in front of the board, said, this is the way that we can implement it. So even though we knew that we couldn't move quickly on other pieces. We knew that at least for three to five years, as long as that strategic plan was living, that this was going to be a focus. And so that allowed us to then hold ourselves accountable, hold the board accountable, and have some really clear deliverables of what we wanted as an organization to make sure that policy is something that we wanted to be synonymous with who we who we are as an organization. And in addition to that, I I talk about moving from a place of scarcity of saying, well, I'm the only one who's doing policy to then moving to this place of abundance that says our community, our grantee partners are the are the ones who are working with me on this. So showing up to community meetings when we're not a part of the agenda and being a part of community conversations to listen Um, and not insert ourselves and our power into the conversation became a 
essentially the infrastructure of how we moved in community, right? And so making sure that we were data informed and person centered was not just something that we said, but we're telling individuals, we trust you. So much like Melissa said, going out to, into community and being and making sure that that informed our next moves, we did the same. And in doing so, then you have community who says, actually they do listen. So I'm going to, I'm going to share more and I'm going to build a relationship. So that's how in our infrastructure, we ensure that community voices were placed more strategically inside. And then it was in our strategic plan and had accountability measures to get us moving forward. Great. Thank you. And we know the importance of of both organizations and individuals engaging in our representative form of government. And we all know that there are challenges associated with that, in particular political challenges. Um, so organizations may be hesitant about moving into this space because they don't want to be seen as being political. They don't want to be seen as engaging in a, in a way that might not be appropriate for a foundation. So what advice would you give to organizations, in particular foundations, um, that are out there advocating for policy and yet find themselves in difficult political situations? How would, how would you handle, how have you handled those situations and what have been the lessons that you have learned through that? Sure. I'm happy to take that one first is, um, I would say number one is make sure that your advocacy agenda is rooted in your values as an organization, but more specifically, it needs to be rooted in what you have experience, you know, expertise in and a track record of being involved and engaged and, and including community as part of it. You know, we were, as an organization, we fund everything, but, you know, really one of our largest areas of grant making historically has always been education. So, you know, we did a white paper that was related to um, education, um, education opportunities and based on that white paper, um, members of our state legislature used that information to craft legislation that provided, um, you know, passed law that provided flexibility for schools and for, for individuals and communities and parents to, to be able to, to have some choices. And, you know, one thing that came with that is, you know, we weren't dictating what anybody would choose, but we were pretty clear in saying, you know, education is something that we're, we're very much, you know, concerned about and our donors are concerned about. And, you know, sometimes if you're going to step out, you're going to have people come forward and they're not going to like what you're saying. And um, what I would just say is if, if what you're doing is rooted in who you are as an organization and what you have a really extensive track record in. I mean, we had done, you know, over $80 million of grant making on this issue, you know, over the past 20 years, you know, make sure, make sure you're going in areas where you've got credibility because in any situation, there are going to be people who aren't going to agree with you. And, um, I would just say, you know, make sure you're leading in areas that you know. I would offer um, stay connected to your why, right? Um, do the hard work beforehand to understand, um, and she mentioned values. 
what those values are that you're not going to compromise on. And so when you see often in the, and I love this question, Sally, because you're right. It's such a hard time because things that are right gets politicized and that's the reality of it. So the three things I would offer is again, stay connected to your why. So, you know, what are the issues that you're going to push on or potentially fall back because it's, it's scary out there. But then the other piece to that is build connections with trusted community leaders. So maybe on those issues that are not the subject matter um, that you're as, you know, well-versed in, you could then say, I'm going to support a community leader and lift up their voice in this. I'm going to leverage my power to potentially open up a door and convene. Sometimes when we hear convene, we think we've got to bring 20 people together. Ah, Sometimes it's, you know, the hard R with, um, or hard D or whatever, the, the person who is polarizing the subject with a community leader who has proximity with that issue, right? And just call a meeting. And it's three folks, four folks having an honest conversation. And then afterwards, their eyes are opened. And that third piece would be build a space to have really honest conversations. For example, if you see me, I'm a tall, dark-skinned Black woman doing policy in the South. On most days, I'm wearing like three-inch heels, so I'm 6'2 on most days, right? And so I have to be very honest with how sometimes I will come across leading some issues in policy in the Deep South, right? That may be scary to others. That may be hard. I'm not. Whatever that is, we need to have a space internally to talk about that. And so I have a partner, right? And that's my president. And I say, Donna, you may want to go to that meeting alone and take these talking points. And I don't see that as something that stifles progress, but actually informs progress with a, with a clear understanding of the context of which we are doing the work. So those three ones, stay connected to your why, build trust with community leaders, and um, have honest conversations. Thanks, China. Something that you said in your last response leads me into this next question. You talked about, you know, at times you may partner with those community groups who may have more of that subject matter expertise than than you do at the foundation. So what advice would you both give to nonprofit organizations who are interested in advocacy work um, as they seek um, grants from funders for either for for the work that they are doing in the advocacy space in their communities. Sure, I don't mind going first on that one. Um, what I would say for nonprofits that are thinking about going into to this space and are seeking funding from from community foundation funders or private grant makers is to make sure you're explaining the process of how you got here, um, because especially for funders who have already done some work in this space, we know it is a process to do it well and to make sure everybody is aligned and on board. So I think it's fair to to really share what that process is and how you've gotten there. Um, The other part I will say is, you know, there are some funders that that may be a little bit wary and concerned about some things. Um, There is, this is a technical aspect. Nonprofits can take what is called a 501H election. It is essentially a math formula that that makes advocacy and if you veer into a little bit of lobbying, which can be done, you know, it, it lets 
that provides an extra layer of security. So if you have that, certainly say that funders appreciate knowing that you have that in place. But the other part is I would just be very clear in saying how you want to advocate for a certain issue, why it's important, and what you think the resulting impact and results can be by taking this position, and how this is something that you've done in partnership with your constituents and the communities that you serve. I have a bias. I think a great grant proposal is really just exceptional storytelling that matches a need for financial support. Um, So I would certainly just be clear on that and saying, you know, as China says, what's your why? And this funding is necessary to get there. And and just to be candid and to be open with the funder. There are some funders that are going to be open to doing this type of work, and there are some that won't be. And I would just continue to cultivate and educate the ones that may be on the fence and then enhance and develop through a relationship with those that want to be your partners. Honestly, Sally, I would just say amen uh, to what Melissa just said, right? Um, And kind of lean into that part of um, don't be discouraged because so many of us, Sally would probably not even be doing (laughs) this podcast if she felt like every foundation just had it, right? So don't be discouraged. We're still trying to figure this out um, and learn how to fund. I think funders make it harder than it needs to be. So know that going into it. Um, and explain, build that relationship the same way that you do with a potential um, volunteer or community member. Do that with the funder, right? They're human too. Um, they want to give back to their community. They want to understand what's going on. And so this allows them the opportunity to kind of move forward. So amen to everything Melissa just shared. Great. Thank you. So as we begin to wrap up this conversation and It's been incredibly informative, and I really appreciate you both taking the time. I think we can cover the last, um, our last couple of questions together. So, what are what are your lessons learned? What have you learned through this journey? What would you do again? What wouldn't you do again? And lastly, what would you like our listeners to leave with as takeaways? rely on your organizational values. I mean, that's, that's really your true North in terms of, in terms of where, where you're leading. Um, for us, it's staying very close to community and hearing what they see as, as key issues. It's seeing what are roadblocks and then certainly, you know, being humble and not being afraid to see where you may need to recalibrate your strategies and um, you know, I would say everything, everything is a learning experience and um, there are going to be times where you're going to stumble, but a stumble does not mean stop. It just means recognize what you can do better next time and incorporate that into what you're doing. Um, For us, our lesson is always um, making sure that we are staying connected in communicating and listening to community, community as well as our donors, um, because this is really something that um, we see as a stewardship of resources, but we also see it as a component of wanting to improve the quality of life of the areas where we live. And um, those are the key things I would say as far as lessons learned. And um, you will learn a new lesson every day. And that's, that's, part of, that's part of what we do in philanthropy anyway. So it's, it's, it's something I encourage nonprofits and funders to really step into um, because it, it will enrich and enhance the work that you're already doing. 
for us, two big lessons. One is trust community, right? I think sometimes that's easier when community is saying what we want to hear. Um, but often when we hear something from the community that is in opposition to where we would like to go, we don't pivot, move, and change. For instance, the agenda, the advocacy agenda that you will see on our website is probably draft 10, right? Because once we sent it out to community, they said, no, try again. In fact, change this word, change that. And so that was a lesson in humility for myself and really building on my muscle to take criticism as well as give it um so that is the first trust community, even when they're willing to push you in other directions, because again, they're doing the work in every day. Uh, and then the last, I'm a nerd, so I'll leave you with a quote, right? Um, so um, Audre Lorde, uh, the Wild Seed Society, Erica Totten said this quote from Audre Lorde, and I have just been obsessed with it ever since. And it's the true focus of revolutionary change is near is never merely the oppressive situations which we seek to escape, but the peace of the oppressor, which is planted deep within each of us. And for me, that illuminates that this is one both professional and personal journey sometimes in doing policy work. You will realize that the the piece of you that wants to speak up organizationally, you know that sometimes you have to stifle your own voice to make sure that you move the organization forward. There are some times that you do have to speak up um, in times where you are ridiculously afraid, right? And so that is that personal piece that you say and realize, man, I've still got some personal stuff to work on, but then say, at the end of the day, I cannot let that stifle progress for the thousands, hundreds, millions even, people that we serve uh, or that you may serve. So that's what I would leave you with, that it's a personal and professional journey and then trust community. Very well said. Thank you both um, for your time today. Um, I do so appreciate not only you taking the time out of your crazy schedules to join me on, um, on this podcast, but also sharing your insights, your experiences, and really your words of wisdom as as you have moved and as your organizations have moved through this advocacy space. And with that, I will, I will sign us off, but I hope that this won't just be a, a one and done conversation that the three of us have. And maybe we can look at, you know, turning this into more of a series as, as we all move through this advocacy journey together. So thank you all very much and have a wonderful day.